Welcome to another sermon podcast from Mount Hope Belmont, where you will hear messages designed to help you learn more about God, grow in your love for God and others, so you can go and live your life driven by faith. When was the last time you made a decision? In the Bible, after wandering around the wilderness for 40 years, the Israelites were given a task to follow, but over time they fell short and eventually did not stick with the plan. Doesn't this sound like our relationship with God? Some of us would say yes to God's decision, but we would eventually not stick with it. In the next few weeks, as we dive into the book of Judges, we hope you will enjoy the message as we find out how to make sure we stay on our task and not break the cycle. Amen. Thank you for leading us in worship this morning. And for you, would you go ahead and grab your Bible? If you brought one with you, you can turn to Judges chapter 3. If you're grabbing one, we have them in the chairs in front of you. If you're grabbing one out of the chairs, we're going to be in page 202. Now listen, every week, or you can use your phone, tablet, that's fine too if that's how you do it. Every week, uh, I encourage you to pick out a Bible, and then I kind of hedge my bets by putting the words up on the screen, uh, just in case you wouldn't listen to me. But, that's, uh, but today, we're, I'm just going all in. So there's no words on the screen today, all right? And I would highly encourage... Everyone's mad at me. I'm sorry you had to come to church and look at a Bible. Uh, <laughs> I apologize. So uh, you're going to have the big, big story today in Judges chapter 3. Uh, I, I highly, you know, I, I don't apologize. You're going to have to look in a Bible today uh, here at church, so, so you can deal with that. Hey, before we get into the sermon, let me just mention uh, a couple of things to, to keep in prayer. Um, one is, I want to I thank, you know, he comes here often, but, but Pastor Paul Biswas is here this morning. Paul, would you just wave? Paul's one of our global outreach partners. Would you th- he didn't know... You know, I was going to say that, but Pastor Paul comes every once in a while. The Biswas has come together, and uh, Pastor Paul is one of our global outreach partners who's working in the Boston area with uh, Bengali people and Muslim people and has a number of house churches in Boston. So you can pray for Pastor Paul's ministry. I know he would really appreciate that. The other thing you can pray for when it comes to our global outreach partners is we have two couples um, that, that minister, that we support um, in, the, in the region of China where uh, the coronavirus is rapidly spreading in that Wuhan region. And both of those families actually happened to be in Thailand for a conference when the virus really started to spread. So now they're stuck. Uh, one family is still in Thailand and the other family actually came back to Arizona uh, because they can't get back into China. So there's two sides to that. One is the wisdom to know where to return but there's also, I mean, if ever God was opening up a door to minister to people uh, in the midst of the challenge, I think there's part of them that would love to be there uh, to minister to people as they're, as they're suffering and scared uh, with the gospel and the good news. So we can pray uh, for those two families as well. In fact, would you just join me? Can we just pause for a moment? Can we just pray for them and, and what's happening there? Let's pray together. God, we just, we thank you for the work that you're doing around the world. And God, we pray for these these missionary families who we support, who are wanting to be in China right now, wanting to be at work there, but you have them in different places for whatever reason. God, pray for wisdom, pray for understanding, pray for for, uh, discernment in those areas. And God, I also pray for the people to whom they minister, the people to whom they live with each and every day. God, we pray that you will bring healing and a quick end to this virus. God, we pray that you'll show mercy 
And in Jesus' name, that you'll bring healing and you'll do it in a way that makes your name great around the world. And God, I thank you for the Biswasses as well. Thank you for Pastor Paul and his ministry. God, pray that you'll bless these house churches around the city of Boston, that they'll be used in mighty ways to reach people for your kingdom. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for letting me do that. It's important that we talk about our global outreach partners and, and what God is doing around the world and pray for them. A couple of years ago, Lori and I, my wife and I, some of our best friends, they moved to Washington, D.C., and we've known this couple forever. We got, it's one of those couples, you know, we got married around the same time. Uh, my wife started working with them at the same company around the same time. We started to have our children around the same time. So over the years, they just became great friends. And a couple of years ago, they moved to Washington, D.C., and they lived there for five years. And every year, uh, usually on Memorial Day weekend, we would find time to go down there and visit them. And when we would visit, my friend Matt and I, we would do something that, that was my favorite thing to do in and around the city of, of Washington, D.C., is we would get up early one morning while we were there, and they lived in Arlington, Virginia, literally right across the Potomac River from Washington, D.C. And we would get up and we would go for a run. And we would start out and we would run down the street and right at the end of the street was the Iwo Jima Memorial. And I don't know if you've ever been there or seen it or seen pictures, but you know that iconic image of the, the soldiers planting the flag there and it's this huge statue, huge memorial there. So we'd run past that memorial and then right after we got past that one, we'd be right on the edge of Arlington National Cemetery and so we'd run along the outside. In fact, since it was Memorial Day weekend, a lot of times there would be huge things being set up and the president would be getting ready to speak from Arlington National Cemetery that day. So we'd run along the outside and then we'd cross the Potomac River on that iconic white bridge with the arches, you know, kind of like the bridges that, that cross the Charles River here in Boston. And right at the end of that bridge is the Lincoln Memorial. And so sometimes if it wasn't a great day for us running wise, we'd just turn around and go home. But sometimes we would have the energy and we would, we would run all along the reflective pool. And depending on which way we went, we would see uh, FDR Memorial and Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial, which is pretty amazing, and the, and the World War II Memorial and the Vietnam Memorial and the Korea Memorial, all of these different things that are set up there. And every single memorial like that, you know, we have them in our city of Boston. You have them. Some of you aren't originally from the U.S. You're from other parts of the world. And in your country, there's places where there are memorials and things put in place. Uh, and they're all done for the exact same reason. They are done because something happened and we are saying to ourselves and we're saying to the people that come after us, don't forget, don't forget. It's so easy to forget, isn't it, when life is good and busy? It's so easy to forget things. In fact, it's amazing to me, it's amazing to me how um, when we look at people who are in college right now, they don't remember 9-11. They're too young. It happens so quickly that we can begin to forget things. And so it was right that we would, at One World Trade Center, build a huge memorial to that moment so that the people who were coming after us, the people who were younger than us, in fact, some of you in the room right now, you weren't even born when 9-11 happened, so that we would say to the generations that came after us, there is something worth remembering here, don't forget. Because the truth is, when life is good and life is busy, it is easy to forget things. 
It's why if you're like me, you have to have all the important birthdays and anniversaries on your calendar with all sorts of dings and reminders. So not because you don't care about people, but because life is busy. And if you're not careful, it can be really easy to miss things and to forget. We don't mean to forget. We don't want to forget. It just happens when life is good and busy. And you know, the thing that we're going to look at this morning, the truth about you and me and our relationship with God, if you're someone who calls yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, you're someone who is a Christian, this is true about you, it's also true about me. In fact, I would say it's true about everyone in our culture, that when life is easy and when life is good and when life is busy, it is really easy, isn't it, to forget about God. When life is good, it is real easy to forget about God. God. Just like it's easy to forget about the birthday, just like it's easy to forget about the anniversary, just like it's easy to forget about the big events in history. If we're not careful to remember when life is good and when life is easy and when life is busy, it is easy to forget God. And a couple, a couple of weeks ago, we started this new series in the book of Judges. And we told you we were going to look at a bunch of stories that all kind of followed the same pattern. And we also told you that some of these stories are a little bit hard to hear. And you're going to find that out that that's true in just a few minutes. So get ready. All right. This is my my disclaimer before we read this story in a little bit. There's some details here that uh, that maybe not be easy to, to stomach. No pun intended. You'll see. And the the pattern that gets followed here, the pattern that gets followed is that the people of God, the Israelites... They have peace in the land. Sometimes it's 40 years. Sometimes it's 80 years. Sometimes it's only seven years. But every generation, there's peace in the land. And you know what happens when there's peace in the land? They forget. In fact, look what happens. Look what happens here. We're in Judges chapter 3, verse 11, and the start of verse 12. We're just going to read a little bit here. Verse 11. So the land had rest for 40 years. This is the start of a cycle in the, in the life of the people here in the book of Judges. The land had rest for 40 years. Then Othniel, that's the leader of the time, the son of Kenaz died. And now watch what happens. There's 40 years of peace. Their leader dies. And the people of Israel, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, we read in verse 12. In fact, what the author is telling us is that their leader died after 40 years of peace, after 40 years of being good Christians, after 40 years of remembering God. And once their leader died, the people forgot. And it's so easy to do. For example, it used to be in this world, and in fact, billions of people still live like this, but most of us don't live like this. It used to be That if you wanted to eat food, you had to figure out a way to grow it. Now, I'm so happy that I don't need to know how to do that because I I would starve quickly at this point in my life. But it used to be that if you wanted to eat, you or your community had to figure out a way to grow and produce the food. Otherwise, you didn't eat. And when you're in that sort of situation, that desperate situation, that the food is necessary for survival, you will look to the heavens and you will pray and you will say, God, please provide the conditions necessary. Please allow the food to grow. Please allow it to be enough food for our people. Please allow it to be able to be consumed so that we can live our lives. But if you happen to live in a culture where food has been made very easy to grow, in fact, food can be grown very quickly, 
and it can be grown artificially. And there's always enough for everybody. And you live your days not really concerned whether or not you'll eat today. You more live your days concerned whether or not you'll eat the food you like that day, but not if you will eat at all. And if you live in a society where you could actually speak into a speaker in your kitchen and say, deliver bananas and bananas show up at your house, if you happen to live in a society like that, it's very easy to forget. Who is the stainer of life? You know, if you live in a culture, if you live in a culture where there's very little medical technology and when someone gets a very simple illness, it could mean life or death. You look at the heavens and you pray and you ask God for mercy and that he would bring healing. But if you happen to live in a culture where scientific advancements are incredible and they are growing faster and faster every day, where the knowledge that doctors have is continuing to grow, And there happens to be a virus that breaks out in some point of the world and begins to spread. You can expect to hear announcements and you can expect for people to begin to say things like don't travel to those places and be careful where you're coming from and self-quarantine yourself and, and make sure that you donate to organizations that are helping to stop the spread of this disease. But what you're not going to hear is you're not going to hear the World Health Organization come on the television and say something like, and above all, commit yourself to prayer. Get down on your knees and ask God, who is the maker and creator and sustainer of life, to show mercy and grace to people. Because when you can come up with vaccines, it's easy to forget God. And when you live in a world like that, where if you want money, you can go to school and get a job and work hard, and find another job, and find another job, it's easy to forget that it's God who owns everything and distributes it to us so that we might have things and be able to use that money wisely. And it's so easy in a busy world where things are relatively speaking good to forget God, isn't it? And it's the exact same thing that happened to the Israelites over and over again in this book. When they had peace in the land, when life was relatively good, they forgot God. Now, why is that such a big deal? Well, here's the reason why. The reason is, is because in life, we'll get back to this point, this this in a moment, but in life, just think with me for a moment, there are consequences to forgetting, right? There are consequences to forgetting. A couple of years ago, when my wife, Lori, and I, we bought our first house, we, we lived in Melrose, and so we bought a house in Melrose, and, and we bought a house like every house in Melrose. It was very old. There's no new houses there, and they're all very old, and we had a boiler in the basement that looked like something out of a horror movie. Uh, we knew we were going to have to replace it. It was massive, like there was a, someone parked a locomotive in the basement of this house, and it was the kind of boiler that we could be, uh, you know, on the top floor of the house, two floors away, and that boiler would kick on and you could just hear it like, you know, I felt like every time that thing kicked on, you know, another glacier broke off somewhere. It was just not good for anybody. And so, and so uh, we knew we were going to have to replace it. And I saw uh, that Mass Save was having this program where if you could replace your old boiler, they would give you an interest-free loan and they would give you a rebate to help pay back part of the loan. So I thought, great. 
I went online. I downloaded all the forms. I printed them all off. It was the government. There was about 20,000 forms that printed on my computer. I took all the forms for the loan. I put them in a folder, stuck them in my drawer. I put all the forms for the rebate in another folder, and I stuck them in the drawer. And we went boiler shopping. It took a couple of months to figure out what we wanted and to get it installed. And once it was all ready to go, I went back to my forms. And I filled them all out, and I went to the bank, and I got this interest-free loan so that we could put the boiler in the basement, and it got all installed. And then it hit me. I had forgotten. There was a second folder. I had filled out the paperwork for the loan, but I had totally forgot that there was separate paperwork for the rebate. And so I went back, and I pulled out all that paperwork. And you know when you have that sick feeling in your stomach that you forgot something that was big and you were supposed to do it? I was looking through that paperwork, and it had all sorts of deadlines on it. We were past those deadlines. And I called up, you know, thinking the Commonwealth of Massachusetts would have all sorts of, you know, mercy and grace upon me. Oh, they did not. And they said, you missed it. You missed the deadline. And when we forget things in life, that's a, that was a big thing in my life. When we forget things, there are consequences, right? So we missed out on the rebate, and we paid the loan back ourselves, Right? My wife was very gracious and loving, but she didn't so much trust me with paperwork uh, up to this day, uh, even today, after that moment. There's consequences. Consequences for forgetting things. And here's the thing. In our relationship with God, there are consequences for forgetting God. We don't like to think about that. We think there shouldn't be. We think that God should understand that sometimes we get busy and sometimes life is good and sometimes it slips our mind and we think that God should be a nice enough person to make sure that nothing bad happens to us. But the reality is, is that when we forget God, there are consequences for forgetting God and we forget that. We forget that when we forget God, there are consequences for forgetting him. And the people of Israel... They went through this cycle over and over again in the book of Judges. And we talked about it last week. If you were here when Justin preached, he talked about it. There is this cycle that the, the Israelites go through. And it starts with them forgetting God. And then it, it moves to God's discipline. And after God disciplines the people, the people become distressed. And then they cry out and God gives a deliverer. But every single time, after this moment of peace, after they're delivered, the people cycle down and they forget again. And the second they forget, they go right back into disobedience. And every time the people disobey, there's discipline. Look what happens here in verse 12. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He gathered to himself the Ammonites and the Amalekites and went and defeated Israel, and they took possession of the city of Palms. If you Google city of Palms, it's going to say Fort Myers, Florida. This is not Fort Myers, Florida. This is the city of Jericho. This is the city of Jericho that they took over. That's the city of Palms in the ancient world. And the people of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, for 18 years. Here's what happened. The people forgot God. They did what was wrong. They disobeyed. And God allowed this foreign king to come and to rule them for 18 years. And this is not nice ruling. This is enslavement for 18 years. This is horrible living for God's people for these 18 years. And they forgot that there's consequences to forgetting God. 
You know, maybe you're here this morning and you're, and you're on the younger side of things. You're in middle school, you're in high school, you're in college. And you know, when you were a child and your parents brought you to church, it was super easy to come to Sunday school and to learn all the songs and go to vacation Bible school. That was a lot of fun. And you would learn a verse and they would give you candy. So you learned more verses, you got more candy. And you thought that it would just kind of always be like this, that you would always love God and you would always serve him. But you got into seventh and eighth and high school and college and you walk into class and all of a sudden there's all this pressure to forget that piece of you, to say, to not let anyone else know that that's a part of you. And over time, you begin to forget. God's not really a part of your daily life. And Maybe you find yourself at a place like so many of our young people do right now where you're just super anxious and worried and you can't find the thing that will take that away. I want to suggest to you this morning that maybe you've, you've forgotten that there's consequences to forgetting God. Or maybe you started out in your job and you were, you were right out of school and you said, I'm going to work for God's glory. He's given me the ability to work in business or to teach or whatever it is that you do. And I'm going to use my job and my skills for him. But then you really got into the profession and you got promoted and you got promoted again. And all of a sudden it became more about money and it became more about status and building a network than it ever did about using your gifts and abilities to serve God. And God is still a part of church, but he doesn't have much to say during the work week. And now you're halfway through your life, or maybe a little bit further. And you're looking at your career and you're saying to yourself, how is this worth it? Am I really fulfilling what I'm supposed to be fulfilling with my life? And you're so bothered and concerned by these questions. Let me, let me just suggest that maybe you've forgotten there's consequences to forgetting God. Maybe, like a lot of us, you got married in a church, had the pastor or the priest do the ceremony, and, and then you, you didn't really say it this way, but just in practical nature, you said, okay, God, thanks for the wedding ceremony. We'll take the marriage from here. And you went and lived your life in uh, church sometimes and God sometimes, but, but you went on in your life, and now you find yourself in your marriage. You're at a place where things are really difficult and really tense. And you're wondering if you can ever live with this person. And you're looking back up at the heavens and you're saying, God, we, we did this in your house. We, were, we did it the right way. We, I thought you were going to bless it. We prayed that you would bless it. Let me just suggest to you that maybe, maybe you've forgotten that there are consequences to forgetting God. It's so easy when we experience these things to turn and look at God and say, where are you in all of this? Why have you forgotten me? Why didn't you fix this thing? Why would you allow bad things to happen to a good person like me? And I'm not saying every bad thing we experience in life is God's discipline. Don't hear what I'm not saying, but I am saying that when we forget God in our life, God is going to allow us to feel the weight and the consequence of that decision. And we ought not to look back at God and blame him for the result. You know, something happens. Some of us, some of you might carry something that looks like this around, filled with water. 
Because what you should be doing, what they tell us to be doing, is that we should be drinking even when we're not thirsty. Because if you drink when you're not thirsty, then your body will stay hydrated, right? But I'll tell you where I find myself. I always forget to drink water, or I just drink way too much coffee. And then I find myself dehydrated and lethargic. I shouldn't go back to the water and be mad at the water that it didn't force itself into my body, right? I have to go back and say, I forgot. I forgot. Things felt good. Life was good. I forgot. I should be hydrating myself. And we can't find ourselves in this place where we're feeling the weight and consequences of our decisions in forgetting God and then just turn and scream at God like it's his fault. God hasn't forgotten us. We've forgotten him. And there's a sense that we ought to be actually, and hear me out on this, we ought to be actually happy and thankful that God allows us to feel the weight of our decisions. There's a TV show that Lori and I used to uh, watch together, you know, back when we had time and no kids. And the show is called Intervention. I don't know if you've ever seen this show, but Intervention follows, every hour of Intervention follows the life of an addict. So someone who's addicted to alcohol or to drugs. And the show ends every time with family members and friends coming together and holding an intervention for that person and trying to convince them to go to treatment. And throughout the episode, an interventionist, a professional who, most, who all of them were addicts once themselves or still are addicts but have their addiction under control, they, they talk to the family and they coach the family on how they should run this intervention. And every single episode, every single week, the interventionist says the exact same thing to the family. Unless you allow this person to feel the full weight of their decisions and the consequences of their actions, they will never change. Unless you allow them out of love, unless you love them enough to allow them to feel the weight and consequences of their decisions, they will never change. And you know, it's the same thing with God. God allows us to feel the weight and the consequences of our decisions to walk away from him, not because he hates us and not because he's cruel, And not because he's up there in heaven just throwing lightning bolts at everyone, but because out of love and mercy and a desire for relationship with you, he is going to allow you to feel discipline when you walk away from him so that you might return and come home. This is the way the writer of Hebrews says it in Hebrews chapter 12. He says it this way. He says, have you forgotten the exhortation? That's an interesting start considering our sermon today. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be wary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I was talking to Thomas Vanderlaan, there he is back there, uh, about this sermon and about this passage the other day. And Thomas said it reminded him of something that his crew coach said when he was in college. Uh, Thomas rode crew at Northeastern and he said, along with Dan, we got like the whole team here in the church, right? And, uh, and, 
he said his coach used to say, don't be concerned. Don't be concerned if I'm, if I'm telling you what you're doing wrong and if I'm yelling at you and I'm talking to you and trying to make you better. Don't be concerned if I'm doing that. Be concerned if I stop. Don't be concerned if I'm, if I'm, if I'm telling you how you could be better. Don't be concerned if I'm, if I'm grilling you and pushing you. Don't be concerned. Be very concerned, though, if I just decide it's not worth my time and I stop. And the same is true with our relationship with God. Don't be concerned. In fact, be grateful. If when you walk away from God and forget him, you feel the guilt and the shame and the consequence of that decision. You, you know when we should feel uncomfortable. And it happens if you look in Romans chapter 1. When we've walked so far away that God just says, you know what? Do what you want to do. And all that discipline and consequence is gone. So what do we do here? We forget God. I bet if you're like me, we could find all sorts of places in our life, different places throughout the years, different places right now today that, that we have forgotten God. And when we forget God, there's consequences. And if you're like me, I could pinpoint other areas in, areas in my life and I could say, yeah, I can see the link. I've forgotten God in this part. This is the thing I'm experiencing. What in the world do you do about it? Well, the solution is one of those things that's simple and he, to hear and hard to do. In those areas in your life where you realize you've forgotten God and you're experiencing the consequences of forgetting God, here's what you do. You remember. Remember. Because here's the truth about our God. The great truth that we often miss. Our God is so loving and so gracious and so merciful that it doesn't matter how, much, how long you've forgotten or how far you've run away. If you will remember, God will forget that you forgot. That is the amazing truth about our God. That even if you forget him, and it's years, and even if you do things that you're not proud of, and you know he's not proud of, and even if you feel that guilt and shame and the weight and consequence of all of that decision that you have made, here's the truth. If you will turn and remember God, God will forget that you forgot. And over and over in this book of Judges, we are going to see that the people of God completely forgot him and did horrendous things of disobedience against him, turned to other gods and did tremendous acts of, of violence. There were all sorts of problems throughout this book. But every time the people of God called out in distress and remembered their God, God delivered them. And here's how he does it in Judges chapter 3. You ready for this? If you've never heard this story, you're going to be surprised it's in here. Here's how God does it in Judges chapter 3. Verse 15, then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They remembered God. That's this, but they remembered God. And the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. That's key, left-handed man. The people of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon, the king of Moab. All right, do you know what that means? They sent him tribute. They sent tribute with him. Here's the deal. When you were enslaved by another powerful ruler that could kill you at any moment, every so often you'd get together some tribute, they called it, some money 
some supplies, some animals, some food, and you would send it to the king. And you would say, hey, we actually love uh, being a part of your kingdom. Thanks so much uh, for all the kindness, and please don't kill us. So they would send tribute every once in a while to the king. It was really a terrible reality of the situation that the Israelites were in. So they have Ehud. They get all the tribute together, the money, the food, the vegetables, everything that they're getting, the animals. They give it to Ehud. They said, go take it to the king. And Ehud made for himself, this is verse 16, a sword with two edges, a cubit in length, and he bound it on his right thigh under his clothes, right? Left-handed warrior puts the sword on his right thigh. And he presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now, here's a good detail. Eglon was a very fat man. And when Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute. So everyone else that he came with leaves. But he himself turned back at the idols near Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And then the king commanded silence and all his attendants went out from his presence. So you see what happens here? It's just Ehud and the king in the room together. Everyone else is gone. And Ehud came to him as he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And he arose from his seat. And Ehud reached with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. You know how he's able to do this very quickly? The soldiers of the day were all right-handed. A strong right hand was what you wanted in a soldier. And so they all carried their swords on their left side. And so you were ready, if you had to defend yourself, for someone to come up and reach like this and pull out a sword. But Ehud, this is why it's an important detail, was left-handed. And so when he made this move, they weren't, the king was not ready. And he thrust the sword into his belly. And here we go. And the hilt also went in after the blade. And the fat closed over the blade. For he did not pull the sword out of his belly. And the dung came out. Turn that into a Sunday school song. Then Ehud went out into the porch and closed the doors of the roof chamber behind him and locked them. When he had gone, the servants came. And when they saw that the doors of the roof chamber were locked, and probably when they smelled the smell coming out of the chamber, they thought, surely he is relieving himself in the closet of the cool chamber. And they waited until they were embarrassed. You ever been in that situation? Maybe like I was at the back of the plane. I'm like, what is going on in there? But when he did not open the doors of the roof chamber, thank you, whoever laughed. But when they did not open the doors of the roof chamber, they took the key and opened them, and there laid their Lord dead on the floor. Ehud escaped while they delayed, and he passed beyond the idols and escaped to Syrah. When he arrived, he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. Then the people of Israel went down with him from the hill country, and he was their leader. And he said to them, follow after me, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. So they went down after him and seized the fords of the Jordan against the Moabites and did not allow anyone to pass over. And they killed at that time about 10,000 of the Moabites, all strong, able-bodied men. Not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel. And the land had rest for 80 years. Any guesses as to what happens at the end of those 80 years? We'll see it next week. <laughs> when the people of God remembered, God delivered them. And you know, this is the same thing that God does through Jesus Christ. That you and I, we walk away from God and we forget him. 
But God loved us enough that he sent his son to live on this earth, to live the life we can't live, to die on the cross for our sins, to be raised again, so that when you and I remember, when we cry out that that death would be the sacrifice that would allow you and I to have a relationship with God so that God could forget that we forgot, so that he could forgive us, so that we could be in relationship with him. And over and over again in life, when we remember God, God restores relationship with us, uses the weight, uses the consequences to drive us back to him that we might have relationship with him. So where in your life do you need to remember God? Where have you forgotten? You know, maybe you go back to school this week and into that classroom. And when you have one of those conversations and people say, hey, what'd you do this weekend? And you usually block out Sunday morning. You'll talk about everything else you did that you would remember God this week, tomorrow. And say, oh yeah, we did a bunch of stuff this weekend. On Sunday morning, I went to church. There was this story about the guy who got stabbed in the stomach. It was crazy. <laughs> so that you would let people know that that's a part of who you are. And in that way, you'd remember God. Or maybe you'd go in your office this week and you would say to yourself, where in my office, how in this space, how in this cubicle, how, in this, how on my computer could I put some sort of marker that would help me to remember God? And so maybe you change the wallpaper on your screen or maybe you put daily reminders in your calendar or maybe you put a sticky note on the edge of your screen or some sort of picture up in the office that will help you to remember God as you go throughout your day. Or maybe in your marriage, you would go home this afternoon and you would start a new rhythm of finding time to pray together so that you might remember God throughout your day. You know, when you're experiencing the weight of discipline, it can really feel like God forgot you. But God doesn't forget his people. God's people forget him. And the solution to that problem is for you and I to go back to God and to remember. We're going to read these stories in Judges. And each week you're going to say, I cannot believe the violence and the filth and the sin. Why is this in the book? But you know what should really shock us? Do you know what should be really shocking to us? Is not the depth of what humans are able to do to each other. Because we're honest with ourselves. We could look around our world today and find similar things that are happening today. On Friday night, my wife and I, for Valentine's Day, we went uh, and got sandwiches and then went to 1917, which probably isn't the best Valentine's Day movie uh, I could have selected. But it's a movie about World War I. And I'll tell you what, that movie, uh, almost more than any other war movie that I've seen, graphically depicts the reality of war. And it should not shock us. All of the, the things that the depravity of humans can bring about because it happens in every single generation. That's not what should be shocking about these stories. You know what's shocking about these stories? 
What's shocking is that there is a God in heaven who loves his people enough and loves you enough that he reaches down into the depths of the depravity and reaches down into the lives of people who have forgotten that he even exists and he delivers them and he restores them and he makes relationship new. Every time we read these stories, that's what should capture our heart. That's what we should capture our emotion. We should say to ourselves, why is this story in here? This story of a God who is so merciful and gracious that even though his people forget him over and over again, and even though they do all sorts of acts of violence, that God doesn't forget them, but he loves them. And then we should look at ourselves and say, how is it? How is it that this God, even though I have forgotten him in my life over and over again, loves me and cares for me and desires relationship with me? I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward. And as they do, I'm going to invite you, if you would, just bow your head and close your eyes for a moment and think about this with me. You know, when life is good, when life is easy, it can be easy to forget God. And when we forget God, we forget that there are consequences to forgetting God. But if you will remember, God will forget that you forgot. So where in your life right now this morning have you forgotten God? Where are you experiencing the weight of your decision? Where are you wrongly, and I know I've done this before, where are you wrongly pointing the finger back at God and saying, God, how could you let this happen? See, it's right in that spot, it's right in that place that this morning you need to choose to remember him. To go back to God and say, God, I realize that you're not the one who forgot me, I'm the one who forgot you. And some of you might do this for the very first time in your life this morning and begin a brand new relationship with Jesus Christ, that you would come to him and that you would say, God, I am so sorry, but I have forgotten you in my life. And today is a day that I choose to remember who you are, who you are as creator and maker, sustainer and Lord. And if you will remember, God will redeem and restore and use you in ways you can't imagine. God, we come before you this morning so grateful for your grace and your mercy. God, the truth is we have all forgotten you. I've forgotten you in areas of my life, God, and I thank you for your forgiveness, for your mercy, for your grace. Thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ and the wholeness and relationship and hope and purpose and fulfillment that it brings. God, this morning, would your Holy Spirit speak to us? Help us to remember. In a moment, we're going to sing this song about remembrance, and I want to encourage you to take time to spend with God, to pray, to ask his forgiveness and to choose to remember. You can come forward to these altars if you'd like. 
Some of the leaders of our church will be here to put, the, put a hand on your shoulder and pray with you. But let's take advantage of this time, remembering our God. Would you stand to your feet and let's worship him and spend time in his presence. Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. and in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Each week that we gather, we do so to learn more about God, grow in our love of Him and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about us by visiting our website, at mounthope.org, M-O-U-N-T-H-O-P-E dot O-R-G, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at M-T Hope Belmont. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you listen again next week.